Oh, he's got all the awards locked up. Rookie of the year, locked up. MVP, locked up. Prettiest hog at the Mecklenburg County Fair, locked up. Welcome to the Significant Strike Podcast. This is another week where we'll be doing a two-part edition because Val has found value that we need to make sure you guys all get a chance to play beforehand. We'll recap last week on this episode and we'll go through the two value fights. And then tomorrow night we will put out the second half of the episode, which has the rest of the card. This is the UFC Vegas 27 Font versus Garbrandt. That's the episode tonight. But Val, start off with our recap from last week, and not to mention just how well I did on the UFC or the ESPN Pick'em. Yeah, Soft won the ESPN Pick'em for our little uh, for the Spofi Discord, so that's great. But overall, we did have a losing week. We could have been winning. Uh, I'll get into that. So. Our first bet was Priscilla Cachuera, um, half a unit at plus 185. Then um, she got the knockout in round two, so cash there, plus .925 units. Then we had um, Mike Grundy, which he lost. Lando Venata looked like a new man, really. He was fighting all different. It's great, honestly, for him. But for us, not so good. That's minus .6U. Then... Uh, Andrea Lee, this is where I got cute, and I shouldn't have. We had I had Lee at one unit to win 1.05 units, and Lee by decision at plus 175 for half a unit, and she got the submission because Antonina Shevchenko has no ground in the game. Um, so yeah, there we only came out positive by uh, like um, 0.55 units instead of what would have been basically one and a half units if. I just played it straight right. up. If you wouldn't have went with the decision, we would have <clears throat> yeah. been better ahead. We would have had finished positive, but, you know, live and learn. Then we had Jacare, which he looked great on the feet, but there was a, it was a really interesting sequence. I mean, if you haven't seen it, I don't know what rock you've been sleeping under, but Jacare Souza got submitted for the first time in his mixed martial arts career. He, he broke his arm. In a in a inverted armbar kind of deal, is really really odd armbar, but very strange armbar. Yeah. I've been watching the sport a long time, and that was very strange. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, Jacare. I thought Jacare was doing well. He was about to shake that guy off, and then just he got caught in the armbar. I mean, congrats to Moonies though. And then we just had that little little point one unit uh, prop bet on Oliveira by sub in round three because of Michael Chandler's tendency to w- do what he does in round three and that loss because Oliveira got the knockout surprising but very much welcome to me in round two I mean that was amazing I was ha- so happy for him it encapsulates perfectly what Charles Oliveira's resurgence has been all about that fight he survived getting knocked down twice he came back and won by knockout so overall though two and four uh, including that that point one unit prop bet, which I don't know if I should count in our overall record. Maybe I have a side record for small prop bets, like 
to a to split record, but I'll figure that out later, for minus 0.725 units. And so that brings us to a total of 4.556 units through six weeks. And uh, I, I got to say, I'm not making excuses, but because we're going to play it by the book here, you know what I mean? We bet what we bet, and uh, we came out how we came out. But the Jacare broken arm was weird. It was a weird arm bar. He lost. I'm not making excuses, but I, I would have never saw that happening. And the other yeah. thing was the by decision yeah, well, that we placed on that fight where you said you got, you know, too cute by half or whatever, and that yeah. cost us. I mean, that that was her first finish in the UFC, but I, I still, anything can happen. You know, I, I should have liked the plus money. I mean, should have just played it safe. I mean, safer. But I, honestly, I liked all of these picks. That's my only regret on this week is playing that half unit lead by decision instead of just putting the whole 1.5 on Lee money line. That's my only thing. The only place I think I went went wrong. The rest of these cap these fights, I think I capped it the way. Yeah, I think I capped them the right way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything can happen in this sport, and so yeah, I mean the method is what's important and will be profitable in the long run. I firmly believe. But let's get into it. All right, Owen. I want to make one more comment. I believe you capped them the right way too, and. The Jacare thing, um, I don't even think he realized what that armbar was. You know what I mean? He wasn't in the mood for tapping or anything. His arm just snapped yeah. immediately hey. from a weird spot. I, like I said, I've yeah. been watching the sport a long time. I've never seen an armbar like that. Yeah, I, we definitely didn't realize what had happened. The, the announcer said he tapped, but he didn't tap. His arm was broken. So, yeah. I mean, it was broken so fast. I don't think he had a chance to tap. Yeah, and w- when they played the replay, we could hear it. It was, it yeah, was, oh, it, it was, was brutal. I yeah, had to it was brutal. To green after the first replay. Um, All right, let's get into this week. UFC twenty-seven, Font versus Garbrandt. Now, that's not the fight we'll be discussing tonight. That's the name of the card. You've got a couple um, value plays that you want our people to be able to get the numbers now instead of when our normal show comes out yes. right so we're presenting them early exactly so yeah um this is part one of a two-parter episode and we're starting with norma dumont versus felicia spencer you guys might know felicia spencer from last year where she had a title fight uh, the first featherweight defense of uh of amanda nunez's title reign um, and she got dominated in a five-round decision. That's, I, I, it's moderately impressive that she went through a decision with Amanda Nunez, but Amanda really took that fight and was like, people say I'm not well-rounded, I'm just you know a big puncher. And she said, no, I'm going to prove I'm well-rounded, use my wrestling, use my jiu-jitsu, and she did. She, she won 50-45, uh, which, yeah, I, I don't think there's many women or any women in the world at that weight that really can compete with her, maybe Kayla Harrison on the ground, but yeah, so it's, it's impressive though that she got to a title shot with Amanda Nunez, that shows you that she's on, on a level of a she's on a certain level, even if the featherweight decision barely exists um, but yeah, let's get let's get right into it with uh, her opponent, Norma Dumont who's a late replacement for Danielle Wolf. so Dumont, A, what what I like here is that Dumont only had, I believe, a two-week training camp, uh, while Spencer had a full eight weeks. 
Um, but Norma Dumont, she's one and one in the UFC. She's a Sanda practitioner, not a martial art we see in the UFC that as much. Um, she's relatively inexperienced. Her record, I believe, is five and one, um, with only two of those in the UFC. The first four were in Jungle Fight and Shudo Brazil, which Jungle Fight is well known for having people come over as champs and then not do great. Yeah, that record. I mean, there's guys like Oliveira was a Jungle Fight champ, I believe. Um, and then Thomas Almeida was, and he started off great and then faded. It a lot of guys come over. It, Jungle Fight's not as high as some promotions like LFA that are on a similar level. Yeah, Jungle Fight is regional. Yeah, yeah, it's a big regional one because Brazil, but it's like the top regional one in Brazil, I believe. But it's still regional. Um, and then yeah, so her USC debut, she lost to Megan Anderson, who was all was Mad uh, Nunez's last title defense. Um. Uh, she lost my right cross in three minutes and 31 seconds of round one. I mean, I mean, Megan Anderson is a hard puncher, no doubt about it. But, I mean, you, MMA math doesn't work. <clears throat> doesn't work. But um, Felicia Spencer's first fight in the UFC was against Megan Anderson, where she got a finish at a similar time in round one, where she choked Megan Anderson out. So, and the fight started out similar. Um, Nora Dumont didn't like the striking. She tried to grapple. She she wrestled Megan Anderson to the fence a bit. Um, Megan Anderson and her were in the clinch for a long time. Megan Anderson separated eventually and then knocked her out pretty quickly. What Felicia Spencer did was get her to the clinch, take her down, get her back, and choke her out. So, two different results there for girls that had the same approach against the striker. Um, and then Felicia Spencer... Uh, lost a unanimous decision to Chris Cyborg, where Cyborg outlanded her by like 120 to 40 in total insignificant strikes. Um, which, not getting knocked out by Chris Cyborg, I mean... Right, I, I mean... Going to a decision isn't, in losing a dominant decision, isn't necessarily impressive, but against the kind of puncher Chris Cyborg is... Right, you're gonna... It, it, she showed her shit in that fight. You're gonna, um, I mean, any woman in the division is probably not gonna land as many significant strikes as Cyborg. You know, it's how you weather them. Yeah. She's gonna, she's gonna throw them over and over and over again. Yep. And that was, I believe, the last fight of Chris Cyborg's contract. She left the UFC. And then, so then Felicia Spencer came back and, uh, won the title with a win against Zara Farn, where she took her down, ground and pouted her. Yeah. And, Round one, also around three minutes and 30 seconds, just another dominant wrestling display. Whereas Norma Dumont, she went on to have her second fight in the UFC where she dominated Ashley Evans-Smith at bantamweight. So, I mean, she really is more of a bantamweight. She's listed as a bantamweight by the UFC. So she has a clear size disadvantage coming into this fight. I mean, she looked like an average-sized bantamweight in her fight versus Ashley Evans-Smith. She looked small to me compared to Megan Anderson, but Megan Anderson is massive. But I'll get into the details of that fight here. So, <clears throat> also, she uh, missed weight in her last fight, so that may be why she is coming up to fight back at uh, featherweight. Um, and in her last fight, Ashley Evans-Smith kind of suck. She was a girl moving up from flyweight, so she was had a big, big size advantage on her. As Sam and Smith looked hard, she looked, like, scared for the first round and, like, hesitant for the rest of the fight. Um, 
Yeah, she only she was a wrestler. She only used tried two takedowns the whole fight, and she just got outstruck the whole time. So, into Dumont's techniques, she's uh, she's mainly an orthodox fighter, but she switches stances. She's good with kicks. Kicks are like her best technique. She throws a lot of leg kicks and body kicks. Um, sometimes she throws spinning heel kicks to the body and the like. But her best, her bread and butter is those leg kicks to the body. She can be quite slow in terms of waiting to fire. She'll wait and try to counter strike or just if they don't try to strike her, she'll wait, you know, for a minute at a time before actually striking her opponent. But when she does, she is pretty intense. I mean, if a lot of women seem hesitant in their striking, like they really aren't going to hurt their opponent or they're just not following through, not going all in. Um, but she does do that. She, she goes for it. Um, but she's limited, limited as far as range and technique in the punching realm. She throws hooks wildly more often than she throws, you know, actual technical strikes. When her opponents are hurt or retreat, she, uh, doesn't follow up. She limits herself to one attack and then waits, lets them recover and has another burst later, um, instead of keeping a measured pace. She, she uses a jab poorly even though she has one everyone has one she implements it poorly at most of the time not using it to keep range or as a range or as a range finder to measure distance um her striking defense is her weakest thing i mean she doesn't get her head off the center line when she throws punches she allows punches to go right through her guard when her guard is up and she's being struck i mean she doesn't even seem to recognize some of the punches that she gets hit with in time to parry them and that's how me and answered anderson knocked her out with that straight right through the guard. Her main defensive tactic is really just to fire back as quick as she can, so she's getting hit while she's hitting. I mean, she's all about the offense. Um, but the grappling is going to be the most important thing in this fight. Um, she wasn't able to do anything to Megan Anderson except for get reversed on a takedown, which she had double underhooks in the clinch for half a round, two minutes at least, maybe two and a half. She had double underhooks in the clinch when she finally got Megan off her feet a little bit. Megan reversed it and ended up on her back and then uh and then Dumont herself got up and they got back to the clinch. Um she's just limit uh Megan that is is limited in grappling aside from using brute strength, so it's not a really good sign that uh Dumont wasn't able to take her down. She got taken down by she by Evan Smith her second opponent in round two, but she reversed it and got her back, but then uh, let Evan Smith stand up. So the fact that she's getting reversed by a flyweight fighting up and not a very good flyweight at that isn't a good sign for her. She did take her down again and ended up on bottom for a second in the scramble before eventually getting top position on the scramble. It's just... She, and she let Evan Smith on her back in a scramble when Dumont took her down at the very end of the fight with, like, less than 10 seconds left. So it wasn't anything an issue on as far as the fight goes. But seeing those those small mistakes and scrambles and takedowns, even though she regained position a lot in that fight, she made mistakes. And Felicia Spencer is an excellent, excellent grappler, a really high-level jujitsu, And she will take full advantage and... Uh, create many more situations where she's able to take Norma Dumont down, get on top, and the like. So, on to Felicia Spencer. She was the undefeated Invicta FC featherweight champion. 
now she's two and two in the UFC, but like I said, her two losses are to Amanda Nunez and Chris Cyborg, the best featherweights right. of all time, women I, featherweights I, of all time. I want to interrupt. dominant decision. She so in her debut, wait. she choked out Megan Anderson. Like I said, I want to interrupt for a second because we talked about um, regional competitions, and it's worth noting that Invicta is probably the premier besides the UFC for women's MMA. So yeah. being an undefeated champion, Invicta carries a lot of weight. Yeah, she came right, like, Victor was her first fight, her first professional fight ever. She was highly touted as an amateur, so Invicta snapped right up. She didn't have to spend any time on the regional scene in her professional career. And, yeah, she was 4-0 there. Um, yeah, and then she beat Megan Anderson and Zara Fire to earn the title shot against Amanda, both by a round one finish. So she did twi- Taekwondo and BJJ Black Belt. Um, she's not the sharpest striker, and, but her hands are better than they appear at first. I mean, kind of looking at how you you would think she's thin, the way she's her footwork is and the way she stands, you would think she's slow and plodding, but she is much quicker and nimbler than she seems, especially in grappling, but also in her with her hands. Um, she's excellent in the clinch. It, that's, I mean, she will strike for a bit, but it's really just a tool to enter the clinch. I, I mean, whenever she, whenever possible. She's great at holding her opponents with double underhooks while she knees them repeatedly. She did that to Zara Farn with almost no resistance. And Zara Farn isn't great, but she's about on the level of Norbert Dumont, I believe. Although a bit bigger. Um, yeah, and then until she gets the takedown she wants, she'll, she can put damage on you in the clinch and hold you there. Which she did, uh, she also did to Megan Anderson until she got the takedown. Um, and her takedown ability overall is just great, especially with those trips from the clinch, but she could shoot, of course, single and double legs. Um, she got Zara Farn and Megan Anderson down to the ground with relative ease. I mean, she she made it look easy at least, which it's... And she uh, ground and pound and Runic and choked them within two minutes of getting them on the ground. So it's rare and impressive to see that rate of finishing in the UFC, uh, even at even at featherweight, um, especially in women's divisions, even at featherweight. And uh, in Invicta, she was 3-2 uh, and two as far as finishes. There were two rear naked chokes, a ground and pound, and two decisions in her Invicta title run. Oh, no, sorry. Three rear naked chokes, one ground and pound knockout, and two decisions. So four and two as far as finishes to decisions. So overall in her career, six finishes, two decisions, and two decision losses. <clears throat> Which is pretty impressive for anyone in the women's division. If if you're yeah, looking at that sure. percentage on your card, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially, in, yeah, unless you're Amanda Nunez and then it's expected. But she's she's great in scrambles. Um, and she's quite like I said, she's quicker than she looks. I mean, she really is. Her top game is just smothering and dominant. There's. I haven't seen a time where an opponent, where she was on top of an opponent and they were able to, you know, get her off easily. She was, whether it's mount or full guard or half guard, she's strong. I mean, Zara Firen is a strong woman in herself. She has excellent stand-ups. She's able to bridge and get out of situations. I've seen a few times, but she wasn't able to do that when uh, Felicia Spencer had her mounted. Um... 
no matter where her opponents try to go, you know, try to roll to your back, she'll follow, try to roll back on top, she'll follow, whereas other girls might get bucked off, and then you can spin, uh, not bucked off, but spun onto having back to the floor, and then you can spin into their full guard. She didn't allow that. Um, I mean, she, when, she, in the scramble that she got onto Megan Anderson's back, it was like that, like, a lot of people have trouble. You see them put one hook in, and then they're not able to jump and put the other hook in. So they're just standing with one hook in, and they can't really do anything except for keep you there in the clinch until your opponent eventually spins into you, and you're back just in a facing each other in a double underhooks or over-under clinch. Um, but yeah, she, she was on Anderson's back in an instant when uh, Anderson gave her back in defending a takedown, and that's where the fight was decided. There's After that, it was just and fight, hand fight, rear naked choke, finish. So, really, Felicia Spencer is probably the third best featherweight in the world, um, unless we count Kayla Harrison as a featherweight, but she's a, a lightweight, fighting at a lightweight right now. Uh, after, obviously, Nunez and Cyborg, the two champions of Bellator and UFC. So, I mean, she put up much more of a fight than Megan Anderson did, and she beat Megan Anderson, who's the only other legitimate featherweight in the UFC after Nunez and Spencer. She has a size advantage in this fight. She has a grappling advantage. Striking, pretty even, maybe even a disadvantage, but I don't think she will have to spend long in the striking. She's able to close distance and get into the clinch and get takedowns very very well and that's why she's undefeated except for against Cyborg and Nunez I can't stress that enough um yeah so this this line is is way off I was expecting yeah I can't believe it's only 146 right I can't believe it's only 146 I mean yeah we're talking about a title challenger even if it's at featherweight she still was a title which is a thin division she still was a title challenger against Norm Dumont who is one and one in the UFC is a short notice replacement is smaller, less experienced has worse losses, uh, worse quality of wins. There's not much here that points to her being able to win this fight. I mean, maybe if she can keep it, stand- I, I mean, anything can happen in a fight, but I cap this line at around minus 300. So minus 146 is insane value. That's why we had to get this one out early so I'm betting Spencer two units to win whatever that is. I haven't calculated that. But, yeah, two units on Spencer at yeah. minus 146. Yeah, I would have had this about uh, minus 300, minus 320 as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. This seems like an unbelievable value. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it'll move more. I mean, this was a short notice replacement. The odds are, have only been up for, have been up for less time but than the rest of the card. So we'll see as the week right. goes on. Remind me when we do value when we do part, look for it to shoot up. Yeah, when we do part two tomorrow, remind me and we'll uh, check the odds and see where they moved. Yeah, two days, two days, almost two days. But yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah. So on to the next fight, which I see value, not as strong value, but value, and I think the lines could move. Though we're, I, I'm not like so certain that the line will move. As the last, as the other one, it's not like such an obvious, obvious thing. But I taped it and figure we'll put two fights in this part, so we have room for more in the next part. Um, so we've got David Dvorak versus Holly and Paiva in this one. Uh, Paiva is two and two in the UFC, um, although one was a con- bit controversial split 
decision lost to Kaikara France. Um, and David Dvorak hasn't lost since 2012 in the regional scene when he was very young. I mean, he is 28 right now, 2012, nine years ago. Do the math, he was 19, very early into his MMA career, which started at age 18. But literally the day after his 18th birthday, he went and did his first professional MMA bout. Um, yeah, and his wins in the UFC are against Silva and Espinosa, who are not bad opponents at all. Uh, he switches stances quite a bit, though he's mainly orthodox. He has a solid chin. He ate some big, big shots from Silva, who has KO power at flyweight, including a front kick flush to the face in the first round. He walled a bit, but survived. He kept his wits about him. And he's generally not that hittable. Um, bad start to that fight, but he came back and dominated. Um, he is able to finish fights with submissions or knockouts. He has seven subs and eight knockouts in his career, although both of his UFC fights have been decision. Of course, it gets a lot harder in the UFC. And so one of the most interesting things about him and things I like the best, and you do see it in his fighting game, is before he started MMA, he was a professional chess player. And the, they always tell the story when he fights. Um but it is an important part of capping because you see that analytical nature, that changing your tactics, adjusting to what your opponent does. Yeah, I would agree. All yeah. that chess is the game of war, you know. Um, but so, it's, yeah, it's he, strategy. You really see it. It's strategy. Yeah, exactly. You really see it in his fighting, and he was a professional chess player back home in the Czech Republic, and the MMA gym where he started. Uh, training was in the same building. So one day he was playing chess and he was like, huh, why don't I check this out? And he's been an MFA fighter ever since. So, yeah, he's always fainting, making reads on his opponents, and that gives the appearance of inactivity at times, but it's really that he's analyzing his opponents and he's able to capitalize most often. That plus his very, very fast hands. I mean, fly rates are fast, but he's really fast. And his leg kicks, those low, low kicks to the calf, are what impressed me the most. He has a decent jab, but doesn't use it enough at times to keep range. Um, but he is good at holding the range he wants, even if it's not with the jab. Uh, he catches opponents coming in often. He's a really, really good counter striker. So the more they come, the more they're going to get hit. He slips, he, he strikes and moves, slips and rips. Um, he's able to counter leg kicks with combos, hard combos, slip punches and rip to the head. Uses a long rhythm, bouncing in and out. Has powerful body kicks and leg kicks. In that last fight with Espinosa, he really showed what he could do with cap kicks. I mean, the fight was fast like a chess match. It was a bit slow as far as the total strikes. They were moving around and feinting a lot. But Vorak mainly won by timing his cap kicks excellently. Espinosa wasn't able to check a single one. And they kept Espinosa from closing the distance to strike. And by the end of that fight, Espinosa was not able to stand... Uh, orthodox at all he had to fight from southpaw and he was very awkward he was limping heavily after the fight um Pavel's style means that he will come in no matter what Dvorak is doing as far as fainting as far as trying to keep reins that's his way but and I'll get to why that is now as far as how he fights but I see Dvorak cracking him a lot coming in and those calf kicks really really eating up his calf um in the clinch, he's great at clinch knees, especially off of stuffed takedowns. He'll punish you with the knee, and he catches you with people with hooks on the break, as anyone should when you're breaking from a clinch, trying to punch. Um, he's exceptional at getting the collar tie and landing big knees there as well. 
he fought Silva at a very high, very high pace and was able to maintain that pace for the full 15 minutes while his opponent slowed down in the last five minutes. So made the third round even more uh, easier, <laughs> even more even easier for him as far as conditioning. Um, and Paiva has been conditioning too, so I, I think very evenly matched there. Um, he has really good takedown defense, so I don't think it'll be that much of a factor. I mean, him and Paiva both shoot the occasional takedown, but they're mainly strikers. But his hands are really fast, not just to strike, but to get underhooks when his opponent shoots. Showed that a lot versus Silva. He also gets his hips under him really well to keep his balance. Even if they manage to get deep because they time a reactive takedown for, on his strikes, he's able to use that speed and show great defensive wrestling. Um, there's one time against Silva, he got taken out of a, of a caught kick, but he popped right back up, nearly took Silva's back in a scramble, and Silva's a BJJ black belt, and eventually he did settle on top full guard. He's not great on the top, though Silva is a high-level black belt, like I said, but uh, and they stood back up before too much time. Um, there was one time where his back was taken, and he was facing the bat, and he was able to turn and end up in full guard himself. He, I mean, he has all the requisite defensive skills as far as jujitsu and wrestling, and Paiva uh, is not great in takedowns himself, although he tries them to keep his opponents off balance, off guard, you know? So, Paiva, he's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. His losses are to Bontorin and Kaikara France, so really no shame there. I mean, Bontorin split him open really bad with a knee to his eyes, so it was a doctor stoppage in the first round. And though Bontorin was winning that fight soundly, it's still a doctor stoppage. Maybe he could have come back and won. Who knows? And Kaikara France was a split decision, a bit controversial, because Kaikara France's cardio failed him, and he he lost the second and third rounds, in my opinion. Um, but he has a knockout win two fights ago against uh, Mark De La Rosa, and a decision in his last fight against the debuting Zalgash Jumagulov, uh, prospect out of Kazakhstan. He's a, he's probably one of the biggest flyweights in the UFC. He's 5'8", which most guys are like 5'5", five 5'6". Five, five I mean, Vorak himself is 5'5". Five but still, the reach advantage, he, he has, uh, Paiva has a 69.5-inch reach, Dvorak has 68. Um, so it's it's there, but it's not a huge reach advantage. Um, and Paiva also is a young guy. He's just 25. And earlier in his fights in the UFC and before, you can see inexperience and recklessness because of his age. But you can also see him coming along in his last two fights. I mean, he's still makes a lot of mistakes, but you can tell he's improving over time. He and he only fights out of orthodox. I've never seen him switch stances. Um, so in the very first punch in his debut against Kaikara France, he got rocked. And that really epitomized how he fights because it showed how much his chin is out there to be hit, but he does have a really strong chin. I've seen him rocked several times from big, big shots, at least for flyweights, but never knocked down. Um, but yeah, his chin is out there. It's high. It's it's not moving. I mean, so in his last two fights, he did show that he began using head movement, but not when he's striking himself, only when he's thinking defense. He seems to be one of those guys who, and a lot of young guys are like this. Um, Jack Slack previously pointed out that Dustin Poirier's evolution had a lot to do with him going from, okay, you're going to attack me and I'm going to defend, then I'm going to attack you and defend, and you're going to defend. We're just going to take turns. Fighting isn't like that. Fighting is giving a take. You got it. You can turn defense into offense and offense into defense fluidly. You know, you could both be striking at the same time. You can use your opponent's strike against them. It's not 
a turn-based game. MMA isn't, or combat sports in general aren't. But, yeah, so when he throws, his head movement really is totally forgotten. Um, Chin always on that center line, and his guard isn't great. His Just like I said about Norman Dumont, his guard can be split. He's not known for parrying punches, and straight rights get through fairly often. Um, but he mostly is an offensive fighter. Like, his defense is his best offense, I guess. I don't know if it's a conscious decision to fight, like, to for that to be his defense. He just, when he gets hit, he starts thinking, okay, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to throw it back at you. Um, but he, when he's on defense also, he retreats in a straight line, which can be taken advantage. You should always exit diagonally, mix it up, keep your opponent off guard. He also has his hand down on breaks, which I, I made sure to mention how Dvorak has been good at striking on breaks out of the clinch. Haiva uh, hasn't been good at doing that, and it just keeps his hand low like he's expecting a normal b- boxing-style reset where the ref pushes you apart and you reset. Um, it, yeah, he's been hit a few times in those situations. He loves to pressure opponents so that they're behind that black line and the outer third of the cage, and so that he has control of the center of the cage, but he's not a real pressure fighter because he doesn't pressure beyond that much you know if his opponent gets hit and wants to retreat a bit he'll let them retreat and he'll stay on that black line so he doesn't push the issue he doesn't really pressure make them uncomfortable just to keep them on the outside so he controls the center he his stance is very very front foot heavy because of him being on the front foot so often and i really anticipate dvorak's leg kicks eating into that calf you know on his lead left leg um, he doesn't use his length and height as well as he could. He throws looping punches instead of straight punches, which that, the infamous adage, or famous adage, straight punches are faster than looping punches. He has kicks that do take advantage of his height. He needs to use them more. Uh, it's pretty simple though, is all, always right out, uh, rear leg kicks. You know, he throws leg kicks a bit more, more often. He throws to the body and a bit to the head. But yeah, always with that rear right leg, and it becomes easy to predict. Like, in the Kaikara France fight, this is one thing I think about his striking IQ, why I think his striking IQ isn't up there, and that he's more of a just, I'm going to hit people, they're going to hit me type of fighter, instead of playing the the game, if you will, of analyzing your opponents, is that in the Kaikara France fight, Kaikara Franz kept throwing a jab to the body and dipping his head to the right when he did so to extend and get past the range of Paiva. And it worked because Paiva didn't adjust. Kaikara Franz threw that punch probably 15, 20 times in that fight. And Paiva never made the adjustment adjustment to, well, he's ducking to my left, so I should kick with my left leg. No, he just throw, kept throwing that right roundhouse. Um, and and even the, even the, uh, the commentary was noticing it, say, well, Paiva should start kicking to the left when, when Kaikara France ducks to the left. Did never happen. Um, so his jab, when he does pump that jab out, it's effective at controlling distance because of his length. But he doesn't do it enough and he doesn't really try to land with it. It's more of just keeping the range. He's always, always trying to land with that strong right hand. And he throws a strong right hand to start combos more than anything else. So do he's often on the two three two three two three two, and then stop, uh, just throwing hook straight right or hook or straight right hook 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 hook. He gets into that pattern of just wailing away at his opponent's guard instead of picking his shots. 
Um, but his, his, he is quite powerful. He stung Pacquiao France and De La Rosa, knocked out De La Rosa with that big right hand, um, stung his last opponent, Zhalgash Zumagulov, with it a few times, though that was a, a closer fight than the De La Rosa fight, and he landed less than in that or the Kaikara France fight, even though he lost the Kaikara France fight. Um, but he, he has good cardio, like I said before, they should be matched over 15 minutes. Um, yeah, when so when the faster guy is darting in and hitting him, there's one thing he, he's done that where he just kind of paws at the air, like when Kaikara France and Bonturin were get darting in to get past his big, his long, long, and tall range. He would just kind of paw at the air, like, "Oh, I'm not going to use my jab to keep range, or, or, or you know, sting you come in, or or a check left hook, which would be even better." He just kind of like swings at the air until and then the opponent retreats. Instead of throwing something with intensity or something to actually do something about it, um, it's, it reminds me of a bear being attacked by the bee, and the bear just like paws at the air because he has no idea what to do. He can't see the bee. Um, but on some occasions, when he looks sharp, he does punish these entries with hard, clean strikes. It's just it's just like a tale of two fighters at sometimes. I mean, when he comes out of his corner, he heeds their advice for a bit. And then he goes, falls back into the same pattern of just striking as def- using offense as his defense and throwing hard, then stopping his combos and not changing up his, uh, his fight, fighting to match what his corner is telling him about his opponent and about adjustments he needs to make. Um, but he does have a good left hook when he is using it. The problems seem to come when he loads up with the power hook with, with his right or the power straight overhand right, and that's all he's thinking about. You know, he, he zooms in on wanting to land that big right hand and doesn't think about all the other things he could be landing or his opponents could be landing. He has gotten a bit better with each fight in the UFC, and he is quite young, so I do expect to see an improvement from his, uh, as he's going on, but I, I still think he's levels below Dvorak. Like, they're both ranked similarly. Dvorak only has two fights in the UFC. Five has four. But I think Dvorak really is, like, a top five type. Like, I think he should be, he's going to be up there with Pantoja, you know, Askarov, Brandon Royval, sooner rather than later. And Paiva's going to have trouble when he, you know, gets back up to, to fighting the Bonturins and Kaikara Francis of this division who are in the five to ten range. Um, and yeah, so he shoots for grappling, not much, but he does shoot takedowns when he starts to get hit, which he did on Kaikara France a few times in that first round when Kaikara France was teeing off on him. Um, he got in on a single leg, reacted well to get in there, but he couldn't do it. Like, he couldn't finish the takedown despite being really deep in on Kaikara France's hips. Um, he's never landed a takedown in the UFC, and he's attempted, I think, officially like five or six, but unofficially, I think more than that. I mean, their stat keeping is questionable most as of them far as are, determining what is a takedown attempt. Most of them are kind of uh, reactive panic takedowns too or attempts, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, his, his only takedown is in his Dana White Contender Series fight, so I, I, he's not much of a wrestling threat and even if he was, I think Dvorak has the skills to match it. So, yeah, I mean, this one, there was a glitch earlier, which David Dorek was minus 110 on bet online, but they fixed it today, which I was upset about. He's now, I have, I believe it's minus 140. Let's check the odds. Oh, it would have been great to get him at 110. I know. 
Um, I was, yeah, I was mad they moved it before we could uh, do that. That's why I taped this one before others. But yeah, okay. Right now, Bet Online has him at minus one forty. A couple other places are in the one forty, one fifty range. Yeah, at least that your better books, the worst books, you know, with bad odds, have him at minus one sixty, minus one sixty-five. So yeah, I'm going with one unit on David Dvorak here, uh, minus one forty, and well, that's that. All right, so we got Dvorak at minus uh. I got one all right, one forty you got in my head and one fifty on my right there. Right, one fifty on my sheet, but one unit there and two units on Spencer. At one forty six, which we both agree should be actually we didn't uh we didn't go through the odds. Let's see what we can see. That was what was down what was earlier when I wrote this. Let's check. Um Yeah, so sports bet right now I'm seeing actually Felicia Spencer is down to minus one forty two is the best you can get. Other places are mostly around the 150 range, like Bet Online and Bookmaker, five times minus 145. And but yeah, I, so we I, can up that to 142. Right, and I feel like, um, and I think you agree that this she should be like minus 300 in this fight. Yeah, 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 this is a, yeah, definitely. Um, this is this is probably my favorite bet. So, oh, I, I, don't, I don't. This is my favorite bet in like the last two weeks. Probably. I mean, this is just a clear gap in value. We'll see. Players should be able to see pretty instantly. Yeah, we'll we'll track how um, where the odds move on these two fights yep. um, when we do our part two, which will be available in two days from now. All right. Yep. So uh, yeah, we'll see if we can get good closing value there. Right. Uh, Anything yeah. else you want to add on part one? No, uh, I, I guess that's it. Just look out for part two. We'll have three to four fights, I believe, on there, including the main event. So. Uh, Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font. Great, great boxing matchup. So uh, I'm really excited to break that one down and just to watch it. So, yeah, we'll see you guys then. All right, we'll see you guys then. Uh, We'll be back with part two in two days. This is the Significant Strike Podcast. And I guess.